0: Hello, I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and welcome to Episode 3 of my Crisis to Opportunity podcast, Survival or Thrival. Continuing our focus on the impact of instincts on our reactions to a crisis, in this episode, we'll explore how our primitive survival instinct actually prevents us from thriving in the crises we're confronted with in these modern times. We humans sure like to think of ourselves as these highly evolved beings at the top of the evolutionary hierarchy, and clearly different. From the animals we come from gosh we have opposable digits that is thumbs which are rare in the animal kingdom and unlike our animal ancestors we have a part of our brain called the cerebral cortex which enables us to think evaluate organize and plan our actions we certainly are special aren't we well yes certainly there are many things about us that do separate us from animals which i'll discuss in future episodes of this podcast for now though, let's look at how we are far more similar to those creatures lower down the evolutionary ladder, much the chagrin of those who hold a quote unquote exceptionalistic view of human beings. Again, we're so special. These similarities become most evident when we're faced with a crisis in our lives. It is at these times when we humans most resemble other animals in how we respond to crises. From Thomas Az, a noted professor of psychiatry. In the animal kingdom, the rule is eat or be eaten. In the human kingdom, Define or be defined. Well, the part of the brain that often reduces us to animals when confronted by a crisis is the amygdala, these two small almond shaped chunks of gray matter located at the base of our brain. And that area at the base of our brain is commonly referred to as, not surprisingly, the primitive brain, with one on the left side and one on the right side. An in depth exploration of the neuroanatomy of the amygdala is beyond the scope of this podcast, but a basic understanding of it will. It definitely help you understand how we typically respond to crises and hopefully inform you as to how to control this primitive reaction let's begin by traveling back in time about three hundred thousand years to the serengeti in africa when bipedal beings that is beings with two feet finally earned the distinction of being called homo sapiens that is human beings back then basically what happened was when an individual was faced with a crisis such as a saber-toothed tiger or a rival tribe's person with a really big club, the amygdala processed this life-threatening information instantly, bypassing our higher-order thinking ability, no time for that, and immediately triggered emotional, psychological, and physical changes that mobilized action in the name of survival. Now this reaction sounds all well and good, doesn't it? And it was for our ancestors, and may still be useful in some situations in the 21st century. For example, when confronted by a mugger on a dark street, or a mountain lion while on a hike. But the activation of the amygdala produces changes in our brain and our body that are actually less effective for managing many of the crises we're faced with today. For example, the amygdala told our cerebral cortex to shut up because we didn't have time to think when we were faced with such an immediate threat as those experienced by cave people. This means that we lose our ability to think, to analyze, evaluate, and plan before we act. Because back in primitive days, we didn't have the luxury of time before reacting. We needed to react or die. Plus, our cerebral cortex didn't have the firepower that it does now, because we didn't need those evolved functions when encountering someone or something that wanted to kill us. Realistically, our options were simple, clear, and very instinctive. This episode of my podcast will focus on the specific ways in which our amygdala impacts our thoughts, emotions, and reactions to a crisis. It will also introduce you to the forks in the road that you can take to gain control over your amygdala. Gosh, if we couldn't do that, then we'd really still be like animals. We'll use what makes us a more evolved species to respond in ways that will work when faced with crises of today, instead of what worked many millennia ago. Instincts lie at the heart of a crisis mentality. They're the starting point for all of the reactions we have toward a crisis. So what is a crisis, you might ask? Basically, it's a complex, genetically hardwired action, meaning it doesn't have to be learned through experience, that serves a very specific purpose in our lives related to survival. As I've alluded to previously, most human instincts are not much different from those of our primitive ancestors, or in fact, most other animals. Examples include fear, suckling, and sex. Instincts, unfortunately, are also the first obstacle in establishing an opportunity psychology. For us to gain control of, and if necessary, override our instincts when confronted with a crisis, it is essential to understand the role that instincts play and how we respond to crises. When we experience a crisis, we, re- we regress back to acting like our primitive ancestors did. We literally go caveman or cavewoman. We fall back on our most deeply ingrained instincts and habits that have enabled us to survive for eons. Most notably, the amygdala is triggered in the same way that the amygdala of other animals are, and our body prepares to take action. These instincts involved in us for a very good reason. They simply helped ensure our survival. Yet, what worked then, as I discussed in episode one, doesn't necessarily work well now. These instincts that have served us so well for so long are no longer helpful in most modern day crises we face. Is there any more important situation than a crisis when you need to have all of your most highly evolved capabilities firing on all cylinders? Many of today's crises, for example, financial, health, or interpersonal, are either highly complex, more cerebral and physical, or occur at a distance. As a result, modern day crises are simply not typically solvable by way of immediate physical action, which is why your primitive instincts can prevent you from responding positively to and overcoming the many crises that occur today. For Marcus Cicero, the Roman philosopher and statesman, the wise are instructed by reason, ordinary minds by experience, the stupid by necessity, and brutes by instinct. Three instinct forks in the road will appear when you're confronted with a crisis. Many of us fall victim to a crisis mentality because it's our natural instinct. By working to instill an opportunity psychology, you'll actually increase your awareness of the three forks in the road and the probability that you'll take the good road when faced with a crisis. The specific purpose that instincts serve is grounded in humans' most powerful instinct, that is, the instinct to survive. Since animals climbed out of the primordial muck, And our early ancestors rose from all fours to walk upright, evolution has been guided by its ability to ensure our individual survival, and by extension, the survival of our species. Yet, as I'll discuss shortly, humans possess an instinctive drive that other animals do not. This instinct extends beyond just surviving and is based in a drive to thrive by growing, improving, and well, continuing to evolve. Just about everything that humans become, how we think, What emotions we experience, and the ways we behave and interact with others all serve the essential purpose of ensuring our survival. In fact, Dr. Daniel Kahneman, a psychologist who won the 2002 Nobel Prize for Economics, has demonstrated that how we think has clear evolutionary value. The way we process and remember information, solve problems, and make decisions are driven by what he calls cognitive biases. Although this approach doesn't always result in the most accurate or best outcomes, It is the most efficient in terms of time and energy expenditure. These biases are guided by the basic principle, what is good enough for survival? Our emotions have also evolved to be of great benefit to our survival. So-called hot emotions, such as surprise and disgust, are experienced instantaneously and powerfully. These emotions signal an imminent threat to our survival, for example, an attacker or rotten food, which initiates urgent action in response to its cause that increases our chances of survival. In contrast, so-called cool emotions like joy and love typically typically take longer to be felt and are usually less intense initially. Simply put, there isn't a pressing need to experience cool emotions strongly or right away because they don't signal a threat to our lives or signal that survival instinct. The way we think and the emotions we feel that are immediate and intense have survival value, meaning they produce reactions that increase our chances of survival. What may be the best known expression of our survival instinct is our fight-or-flight reaction to a perceived threat to our survival, which I'll discuss in detail in a later episode. Without this instinct to survive, our primitive forebears would have died, their genes wouldn't have been passed on, and we wouldn't be living in the 21st century. Unfortunately, in an odd sort of way, our primitive survival instinct has become outdated for many aspects of our modern lives. Back in the Serengeti 300,000 years ago, this instinct ensured our physical survival in the face of daily threats in the form of predatory animals, hostile tribes, starvation, and pestilence. Yes, sadly, many people in the world still face some of these same challenges. At the same time, for those who live in developed countries, and admittedly who are most likely to listen to this podcast, times have changed, such that primitive physical challenges are no longer a daily existential threat. Instead, survival in the 21st century has taken on new meanings that requires a different understanding of survival and an evolved survival instinct that focuses on modern-day crises related to finances, marriage, child-rearing, education, career, politics, and global events. In all these threats, the danger isn't often physical death, but rather other forms of quote-unquote death, such as psychological, for example, self-identity or self-esteem, emotional, for example, shame or sadness, social, For example, rejection and professional being fired. This new conceptualization of the survival instinct demands a very different set of responses than those triggered by the old school fight or flight response. Also, our understanding of and means for ensuring this new form of survival in the 21st century has changed significantly compared to primitive times. A more appropriate definition of survival for modern times may be the state of continuing to live one's normal life, typically in spite of an accident ordeal or difficult circumstances. In other words, the ability to get by or maintain the status quo despite challenging conditions. At the same time, as the immediate threats to our physical survival have receded, another instinct that is more aligned with our times has risen to the forefront, and is what I call the thrival instinct. And yes, thrival is actually a word. Derived from the word thrive, thrival can be defined as to prosper, to be fortunate or successful, to grow or develop vigorously, to flourish. In other words, to want to feel better, do better, and live better. The Thrival Instinct drives us to seek out our limits and to expand the world in which we live. Now, keep in mind that the instinct to thrive isn't new in any way, shape, or form. The Thrival Instinct, that is the drive to know more, do more, experience more, create more, and explore more, is what has produced all of the great achievements in human history. From the discovery of fire, to the invention of the wheel, to manifest destiny, to the innovation of the internet, and every step of progress in between, the thrival instinct has driven we humans to evolve. Following the industrial revolution, when mass production and distribution of food made starvation, for most, a distant memory, mechanization and automation provided us with more leisure time. People began to live longer and healthier lives, and overall basic needs for survival became more abundant and readily available, for example, food, water, and shelter the Thrival Instinct overtook the Survival Instinct. This trajectory has accelerated with each additional technological development, giving increasing numbers of the Earth's population more security, resources, leisure time, and along with these, more opportunity to not only survive, but in fact, to thrive. The problem with these two instincts, survival and thrival, is that they are fundamentally in conflict with each other. Our Survival Instinct demands that we seek out safety, security, Certainty, familiarity, predictability, routine, comfort, and control. In contrast, our survival instinct drives us to seek out risk, novelty, uncertainty, insecurity, discomfort, and stress. This conflict is inherently connected to the difference between a crisis mentality and an opportunity psychology, with the former being grounded in our survival instinct and the latter woven into our thrival instinct. As I'll be showing throughout this podcast, rejecting our survival instinct and embracing our thrival instinct is essential to shifting from a crisis mentality to a psychology of opportunity. With most of today's crises, the qualities of the thrival instinct will better serve your efforts in responding to their challenges and enable you to adopt an opportunity psychology. Given that most modernity crises don't require immediate and urgent action, your goal is to not allow the deeply ingrained survival instinct to dictate your reactions and replace it with a Thrival Instinct and the processes that spring from it. This entire podcast is devoted to encouraging the transition from a crisis mentality to an opportunity psychology, and this objective will be catalyzed in several initial steps. First, when a crisis strikes, you experience the first wave of a crisis mentality. Don't attempt to resist it. The fact is you can't, because it has millions of years of evolution driving the instinct through you. Instead, acknowledge and accept that it is your survival instinct responding naturally to the perceived threat. This acceptance will dull the intensity of your survival instinct's actions by not adding unhelpful emotions, for example, frustration and anger, or physiological reactions, such as more adrenaline, to the situation. It will also allow you to let the psychological, emotional, and physical wave to pass more readily and more quickly over you. Second. The initial shock of your survival instinct and the crisis mentality will either ebb to a more manageable level or most likely run its course. Then you can invoke your thrival instinct by recognizing that its attributes are better suited for 21st century crises. Now I'll explain why and what part of the brain is activated to help this process in a later podcast. Third, expect and acknowledge that this shift from survival to thrival and crisis mentality to opportunity psychology will be uncomfortable. In fact, millions of years of evolution will be screaming at you to not go there, to stay in the survival mode and the crisis mentality. But you must go there because the thrival instinct and an opportunity psychology gives you the best chance of coming out of your crisis as intact as possible. Finally, make a commitment to your thrival instinct and your opportunity psychology. Stay conscious and vigilant to your survival instinct and crisis mentality for when it creeps into your mind and your body and attempts to kidnap you back to your primitive self. Then use that commitment as the foundation for everything I offer you in my Crisis to Opportunity podcast, which you can then apply to crises that you confront in your life moving forward. I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and thanks for listening to Episode 3 of Crisis to Opportunity, and be on the lookout for the next episode in the near future.